Hi, my name is Michael Davidson, and here's what's happening at Abundant Life. If you've ever been asked questions about your faith that were difficult to answer or choose not to talk about your faith to avoid potentially tough questions, we've got an event that you'll definitely want to check out. Dr. Bobby Conway, the lead pastor of Life Fellowship Church in North Carolina and founder of the One Minute Apologist, will lead a discipleship summit on April 21st from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. in the Fellowship Hall. His powerful message will equip you with credible answers to properly address curious, faith-related questions and provide you with the inspiration you need to confidently share your faith with others. Also coming in April is a new series from Pastor Brian entitled Unleashed, The Gospel and Relationships. Be sure to join us as Pastor Brian dives into this powerful six-week message starting on April 29th. And after service on April 29th, make plans to attend the Food Truck Fellowship at 11.30 to 2.30 p.m. in the ALCF parking lot. We'll have live jazz music with chocolate rice, food provided by Boneyard Barbecue, 333, Kona Ice, and more. Come join the whole ALCF community at this fun family event. We regularly host a wide range of activities here at ALCF, but none of them would be possible without the help of those who serve. If you are a covenant partner who is actively serving in a ministry, we want to honor you at the Contributors Appreciation event on Friday, May 4th from 7.30 to 9 p.m. in the Fellowship Hall. Don't miss this great opportunity to meet and fellowship with others like you who continue to do so much for the ALCF community. Also happening in May is our Great Family Gathering, which takes place on Wednesday, May 9th from 6.30 to 7.30 p.m. in the Fellowship Hall. It's your monthly opportunity to get together with others in the ALCF community over a meal to connect, develop deep relationships, and get equipped to answer relevant issues facing us today as Christians in the Bay. We look forward to seeing you, and don't forget to bring a dish to share with your ALCF family. We've got a special opportunity for young adults to connect with others at ALCF. If you're 18 to 30-ish, and looking to go deeper in your walk with a community of young adult believers, or if you're not a believer but would like to learn about God's plan for your life, join our young adults group on Wednesday, May 23rd from 7.30 to 8.45 p.m. in the chapel. You'll have a chance to hang out in a relaxed environment filled with games, events, speakers, informal discussions, and much, much more. We cannot leave May without talking about our Mother's Day events. The Real Options 5K Walk for Life takes place on Saturday, May 12th, starting at 8.30 a.m. at Marital Cottle Park in San Jose and Kennedy Park in Union City. It's a great opportunity to honor your mother by celebrating the gift of life. Sign up at friendsofrealoptions.net to join the life-affirming annual event that benefits thousands of mothers, families, and students in our community. We'll also honor our mothers here at Abundant Life during our service on Sunday, May 13th at 10 a.m. with a special Mother's Day celebration you won't want to miss. And speaking of our mothers, many of them served tirelessly throughout the year in Safari Kids. We'd like to give them 
and the rest of our Safari Kids team a much deserved break this summer. But we need your help. If you love the word, love working with kids, and would love the opportunity to bring them together, Safari Kids may be perfect for you. If you're interested in possibly serving this summer, please contact Stacy Davidson at safarikids at alcf.net. No experience is necessary. We'll provide you with hands-on training May 20th through June 3rd in preparation for service between June 17th and August 19th. If you're looking for a church home and want to know more about our history, mission, and core values, sign up for our next Exploring Covenant Partnership event on Sunday, May 20th from 12 to 1 p.m. in the chapel. You can register at alcf.net slash signups or through the ALCF app. To stay connected with everything ALCF, check out our website, app, bi-weekly emails, and social media. And remember, at ALCF, our goal is to make a difference in you so you can make a difference in the lives of the people in your sphere of influence. Or as we like to say around here, abundant life exists to make a better you for a better world. So Father, we mean that when we sing it. Uh, this is not my church. It's not my church. This is your church. Uh, this church is not centered around a personality. It's not centered around a gifting. Uh, God, that's way too low of a vision. God, if, if you don't take center stage here, this won't last. So we need you to be the star. We need you to be the main attraction. You, we need you to have top billing. So, Father, I'm thankful to be used by you. But I pray that these people would never be tied into me. That they would, they would lift up their eyes and see beyond me. And they would see Jesus. So that's the prayer, Lord God. Because that's where the power is. There, there's not power in my name. There's power in your name. I've never changed a life, but you've changed millions of lives. And so, Father, would you do that? Would you once again change someone's life today? Would we leave here, Lord God, saying, yeah, that, it was good that we were here today. May we leave bettered than when we came in. Do it, Father God, we pray. Use me. You are the potter. I am the clay. I am your instrument Play me any way you want to play me right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. You may be seated. If you have your Bibles, I want you to meet me in Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, we begin a series today, and I'll explain some about that once we get into it. But Ephesians chapter 2, um, I started to say, turn to your neighbor, but I'm an introvert and I hate that. Um, I don't know you. What, what you doing speaking to me? Uh, but anyways, forgive me. I got to get past that. You extroverts love that. Y'all get into a three-point stance. Let me talk to somebody strange. I don't like that. I just don't like that. Uh, but anyways, uh, Ephesians chapter 2. I want you to fasten your seatbelts today. Uh, you're going to get caught with a left hook. Um, and uh, 
but it's going to be done in love, and we're going to go there. We are, we are going to go there today, all right? So I need you to fasten your seatbelts. We are going to go there today. Ephesians chapter 2, pick me up in verse 1. The guy who wrote this, his name is Paul, and Paul says these words, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Make a note of that word, dead. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, make note of this phrase, and were by nature children of wrath. So that hip hop group had it right back in the the 90s. We were naughty by nature. Some of y'all got that. Like the rest of mankind. Verse 4, but God, but God, boy, if I was with my Pentecostal brothers and sisters, we'd have church right now. Ah, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace. I love that. The immeasurable riches of his grace, which means this. You can't even measure how much grace God has. It has no limits to it. It has no statute of limitations. It doesn't expire. God's got more mercy than we've got mess. Oh my gosh. In kindness towards us in Christ Jesus, verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. In other words, God didn't save you because you came to church X amount of times, because you stopped the addiction, because you memorized X amount of scriptures. You were saved by God's grace. It is the gift of God, verse 9, not a result of works. Why? So that no one may boast. Some of you are here today, you're college students, or maybe when you think that you were in college and you had a merit-based scholarship. I mean, you, you knocked it out on the ACT or the SAT. You, you had to maintain a certain GPA. Uh, There's boasting in that. But when it comes to the kingdom, ain't none of us have a merit-based scholarship. We have a grace-based scholarship. There is no boasting. The foot of the cross, it is level. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship. I love that. The Greek word, Paul's writing in Greek, the Greek word for workmanship is poema, from which we get the English word poem from. I love it. We are, we're God's poem. Your mom and daddy may not have planned on you being here. And one of the ways you know that is if, if your closest sibling is a decade older than you, you was a surprise. One person back there was like, really? (laughs) Yep. But when it comes to God, there are no surprises. You were created. I was created on purpose and for a purpose. We are his poema. We are his workmanship. I don't care what your mom and daddy said about you. I don't care what your peers said about you. I don't care what the mean things were uttered into your spirit. You need to allow the word of God and the voice of God to be louder than any other voice in your life. You are his workmanship. God don't make no mess. It may be bad grammar, but it is good theology. 
I love this, which God prepared beforehand. I love this, that we should walk in them. In other words, God says, before you even got here, I had prepared for some things for you to walk in. Before you, you even got here, there was a destiny I had for your life. There's a purpose that I have for your life. Wow. In 1976, flight 139 headed from Tel Aviv to Paris was hijacked. It was a week-long ordeal. The hijackers landed the plane. They took all the hostages into the airport terminal, and they, they held them for a whole week. Finally, Israeli soldiers rescued them. But right before they, they rushed in to rescue them, these Israeli soldiers got on a megaphone and repeated over and over again in Hebrew and in English, everybody get down, everybody get down, everybody get down. To which all the hostages did, but one person, true story. A man by the name of Jean-Jacques Minumi. He still stood. When the, when the Israeli soldiers rushed in, they, they came in guns ablazing, and they shot everyone standing. The only one of the hostages who didn't make it was Jean-Jacques. It was later discovered that he knew both Hebrew and English. So he knew the truth, he heard the truth, he understood the truth, but his failure to apply what he heard cost him his life. There's a whole lot of Jean-Jacques Minumis in the church of Jesus Christ today. People who know truth, who hear truth, who understand truth, but as my grandmama says, They just don't put shoe leather to that truth. They don't apply it to their lives. Unfortunately, James was right that there are a lot of hearers of the word of God, but not enough doers. It's not just good enough to know truth. We must now walk in that truth and apply that truth to our lives. This is important because all this year, I've been sharing with you the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, We here at Abundant Life, as Glenn made mention, we've got uh, core values, five of them. We call them the five G's. And the very first core value that's mentioned is the gospel. We want to take people from death to life. I'll talk more about that in just a few moments. All this year, we're just looking at that one core value, the gospel of Jesus Christ, which pretty much says that we, because of our sins, were estranged from God. We were separated from God. And yet here is Paul. He says that now we've been reconciled to God, not through our good works, but through the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We have been given new life in our relationship with God. We have been reconciled to him. That is the simple good news of the gospel. This is truth. This is truth. But now today, I want to begin a series called Unleashed. What does the gospel look like in real time? In other words... I I, want to beg the question, so what? 
I've been saved by grace through faith. How is that supposed to flesh itself out when I go to work tomorrow? How does this flesh itself out when I go back to that dorm room? How does this flesh itself out when I sit in the classroom or go on the business trip? How does it flesh itself out in my marriage, in my friendships? In other words, I want to argue with you today that the gospel is not just a set of propositional truths that we stuff in our head. But God has saved us that we might now live out the gospel. I've been saying it all year. I quote my friend J.D. Greer, in which J.D. Greer says the gospel is not just the diving board. It's not just something that gets us started in our relationship with God. It's not just fire insurance. God didn't save you and say you're going to heaven so that now I can live a hellish life question on the table we Christians must wrestle with is what does the gospel in real time look like in my life? So for example, if one of the, one of the pillars of the gospel is that God has forgiven me, watch this now of every sin I've ever committed, am committing and will ever commit. Then to be a Christian means I've got to be a forgiving person. Do you not see that? Did not our friend, Dr. Bobby Conway, say the only way you know you're a forgiving person is when you've been hurt? It's the only way. See, just the other day, I'm praying through the Beatitudes. And and, and I'm going, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the land. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And then I hate this one. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Because when I pray, God, make me merciful, what am I saying? God, have someone hurt me. Is, Is this microphone working today? The only way you know you're merciful is if you've been wronged. And so sometimes God will give us tests in which he'll put people in our lives who mess over us. And when that happens, God's wanting to know how much of this gospel stuff do you really believe? The gospel also says I've been reconciled. That here I am estranged from God. I've messed over God. My sin has caused me to thumb my nose at God. I've lived in rebellion to God. What does God do? He doesn't go passive aggressive on me. He doesn't emotionally moonwalk from me. God at great cost to himself sends his only son to die on the cross for me so that now I am no longer estranged and I can be reconciled to him. Now I won't ask for a show of hands, but I, I I bet you all of us in here, we've got an estranged relationship or two in our lives. It's quiet up in here, up in here. And the gospel says, okay, you've been reconciled to God. You messed over God, but God took steps towards you. And now someone's messed over you. And at best you're saying, well, I'll wait on them to call. (laughs) 
See, I, I, I want to look at this stuff. The gospel says when I got saved, I got adopted into the family of God. And, and, and the Bible actually tells me what my siblings look like. You ready for this? Revelation 5, 9 to 10 says, here's what your siblings look like. People from every nation, every tribe, every tongue. Which means to be a racist Christian is an oxymoron. I done told you this before. Some of us, we got problem with white people, maybe. You better work that thing out. Because God might have you have a roommate in heaven for all of eternity. <laughs> and you get up in that room and you start sharing testimonies. And they tell you, I used to be a white nationalist. So God wants us to have relationships and to flesh this thing out called the gospel. With people who don't look like us, act like us, think like us, vote like us. My goodness, it's quiet today. Let's roll our sleeves up and let's go there. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, Paul talks about the gospel. It is a stunning passage on the gospel, and he says some pretty amazing things. In fact, if you look at verse 1 of Ephesians chapter 2, and you won't like this if you're here and you would say, I'm not a follower of Jesus Christ. I I, want to give you some good news, but before I get to the good news, I I just got to tell you some bad news. And here's how the Bible describes all of us prior to coming to faith in God through his son, Jesus Christ. Paul says we were actually dead. That is not a flattering thing at all. I got a friend of mine, he teaches preaching at a seminary, and he, 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 he trains um, uh, young budding pastors in, in, in how to preach. And one of the things that he does, he has them all prepare a homily, a little short sermon, and I love this, and, and, and they're so ready to preach, and they, they come to class, and they, they, they're, they're, they're ready to preach this little homily, and the, past, and, and, and the professor says, okay, I, I've got a little bus for us lined up. We're, we're, we're going to take a field trip today. You're still going to preach your sermons. And he takes them to the local cemetery. And he has each of them preach their sermons to corpses marked by tombstones. And inevitably, someone will be like, what's up with this? Why are we doing this? We could have done this in class. My, uh, uh, why are we here? And the professor always says the very nature of preaching is preaching to dead people. So what does that mean practically? It, it means that I'm... I'm dead to the things of God. It means my heart is cold. It's not responsive. Now, now, here's something you won't like. Last time I checked, dead people don't make choices. So when you die, you will have no say-so in the suit you'll wear. When you die, if you hadn't worked out, if you'll be cremated or buried too late, Someone's going to decide that dead people don't make choices. Now, now here's what you ain't going to like. If I'm dead, then that means when I got saved, I didn't choose God. He chose you. In fact, our text says that he made us alive. In other words, God gave you the grace 
to exercise the faith and come to the altar and say, I need Jesus. If God doesn't quicken your heart to do that, it ain't going to happen. So therefore, when you share your faith and that person says no, don't get dejected. They're dead. Not only that, Paul goes on to say, he says, we were naughty by nature. We were children of wrath. Now, you've heard me say this before. Some of you are sitting here and you're going, well, how does that work, Pastor? How does that work? I I thought God loves me. In fact, I I heard somewhere in the Bible that God so loved the world, but now Paul in Ephesians 2 is saying that, that God was angry with me. How can God love me and be angry with me? You've heard me say this before. How do those two things co-mingle? Well, wait and have some kids. Because can't nobody upset you like them little jokers. I'll never forget, man. I was in a car. This is years ago, man. I was with my godfather, my godbrother, and uh, I was up front sitting next to my godfather. My godfather was driving, and his son, my godbrother, was about four years old at the time. He kept kicking the back of my godfather's seat, kept kicking the back of his seat. And, and my godfather is a very patient person. He says, he says stop that, stop that. Uh, he keeps kicking and keeps getting, stop that, son. Stop, you're annoying me. And he keeps kicking and kicking. He says, son, stop it. You're getting on my nerves, to which my godbrother says, well, daddy, sometimes you get on my nerves, too. I ain't going to say what, the, what my godfather did. We may have pulled over to the side of the road. But here I saw a loving father express redemptive wrath at the same time. In fact, I would suggest to you that the way you know God loves you is when you proverbially kick the back of his seat by walking in sin. If he didn't love you, he wouldn't care very fact that that he's disturbed the very fact that he gets angry anger is a reflection that we care loves you and then finally paul says that we have been made alive that god who is rich in mercy has has made us alive by grace through faith this is the all-knowing god who knows everything about me all of the things i've done and, and and am doing and will ever do to break his heart god says i've still am rich in mercy towards you there is nothing you can do to make me give up on you i i'm here waiting to make you alive amazing. And it's not by your works. I I don't say you have to jump through so many hoops first. I I don't demand on you doing things. I don't say to you, stop the addiction. In fact, the reason why you need a savior is because you can't stop. You, You need someone to come in and, and rescue you. Okay. 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 Nice gospel review. The question now is, So what? You ready for the left hook? Here it is. Don't look at me. Look at the text. Here's Paul. Just finished talking about the gospel. Next verse. Verse 11. Therefore, whenever you see the word therefore, always ask, what is it therefore? In other words, Paul is saying, in light of the gospel, remember that at one time... Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. You Gentiles in the flesh 
called the uncircumcision. By what is called the circumcision, the the circumcision are the Jews, which is made by the flesh, in, in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man. What is Paul talking about here? Here it is. He's talking about race. Ain't that weird? He goes from talking about the gospel, dead, made God angry. God is rich in mercy. He saved you, not by your works, but by his grace. And right on the heels of that, he now talks about race. How do I know that? He says, you Gentiles, watch it now, in the flesh. Now, if you study Paul, one of the things that we understand is he uses the word Gentiles in two primary ways. One of the ways he uses the word Gentiles is he oftentimes talks about Gentiles um, as those who don't know Jesus. That's not how he uses it here. You don't need a degree in Greek to figure this out. The reason why we know he's talking about, about, about ethnicity is he uses a phrase called in the flesh. You, you Gentiles in the flesh. One of the things you have to understand is the church at Ephesus is what we would call a multi-ethnic church. If you want to know about the history of the church at Ephesus, read Acts chapter 19. In Acts chapter 19, Paul walks into a synagogue and he preaches the gospel to some Jews. Some Jews get saved and then Paul's not done. He says, where do the Gentiles hang out? He hears they hang out in a place called the Hall of Tyrannus and he goes there and he preaches to them and some Gentiles get saved. Now Paul has a problem and the problem is Jews and Gentiles don't like each other. They don't do life with each other. They're segregated. They're divided. They can't stand each other. They don't want their kids marrying each other. None of that. They hate each other. So here's Paul. He has a problem. He's got some new Jewish converts to Christianity and some new Gentile converts to Christianity. What should he do? Well, if he does it the American way, he would start two churches. Let's put a church for the Gentiles on the south side of town, first AME Gentile, and let's put a church on the north side of town, first Baptist Jewish, and let's just work it out that way. Let's be segregated and separated, but that ain't how Paul rolls. He says, I know you hated each other prior to Christ. But now that you've been vertically reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, I ain't starting two churches. I'm starting one church and I'm putting you two together who used to hate each other in one church. And now I'm calling you to flesh out horizontally what has already happened in the spirit realm vertically. In other words. When we talk about the gospel being unleashed, it is to be unleashed in the area of race. And it should not be the White House or the government that we depend on to lead the way. It should be the church of Jesus Christ and God's house who are working these things out. That's where it's supposed to happen. 
See, see again, I, I, I just want to tell you here. The gospel is easy when you just minimize it to truth to be learned. It now gets really hard when before Christ, you used to look at another ethnicity in a certain way. And now that Christ is in your life, he's now changed the paradigm. And he's saying, I need you to see them the way I see them. That's when it gets hard. So my son, uh, he's in Houston right now. In fact, uh, one of the dads of the teammates are, are here, and I just, got, I just got word right before I walked in. They, uh, with like less than three seconds or so uh, left, our, our team hit the game-winning shot. We on to the next game. I'm, I'm excited. Praise God. I can keep my phone off because I would sure check mid-sermon. So y'all, y'all pray for favor over our team down there in Houston. But, but, but my son, my, my son, you know, I'm investing in him because it's, it's kind of cool. We parents, it's great to see our kids have a dream for something and, and they've got a passion for something. And, 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 and what we parents want to do is we, we, we want to invest in that and we want to encourage that and we'll pour resources towards it. So, so you know, I, I, got a, I got a trainer for my son and, and this trainer is, you know, teaching him moves and, you know, downstep crossovers and, you know, the importance of pump fakes and, and all this other stuff. And, and, and here I am spending a lot of money for it, which is, what, which is what any parent would do when you see kind of a capacity for it and your kid really loving it. But at the same time, I'm getting frustrated because my son is learning all this stuff, but he ain't doing it in the game. Now y'all might call me over the top, but I got a little deal with my son now because I I was frustrated with him one game. I said, son, you don't ever have to hit a shot in the game. That's not what this is about, but I'll be doggone if I'm gonna spend all this money for a trainer and you just learn a bunch of stuff. But when it comes to the game, you're not walking in it. I think God gets frustrated. He said, look, I'm giving you all this stuff, but it just isn't for your information. I'm putting some stuff in you so that it gets fleshed out in the game of life. And one of the ways my gospel is to be fleshed out is that the church of Jesus Christ, just like it was in Paul's day, Paul planted a church within the context of a narrative of racism, Jews and Gentiles. Now Paul says, I am calling the church of Jesus Christ to follow suit. In other words, abundant life has been planted, established, and situated within a broader cultural context. And that cultural context is a narrative of racism. And God is saying one of the strongest witnesses abundant life can have in a historically racist country is for people to walk in and look around and say, oh my gosh, I didn't think this was possible. This is a diverse church and we ain't just diverse. We California diverse. We got stuff in here I ain't never heard of before. But here we are loving one another and embracing one another. This is a profound testimony to the power of God. Now, here's where things get kind of hard. And I've only got one point today, by the way. There's so much in this text. I'll pick up the other points another time. But but here's where things get kind of hard because you got to understand Here's why this matters. Abundant life has been planted within the context of what, of what Michael Emerson and Christian Rice say in their wonderful book, Divided by Faith. We are a racialized society. And what I want you to understand here is, it is, is race 
is so much a part of the fabric of our country that it affects us more than we know. So I need you to open your eyes to that. I, I, you know, I don't say this to guilt anybody, but look, we, we, we know the history. What, what, what the European immigrants did when they first came here to this country, to the Native Americans, is deplorable. Absolutely deplorable. Defrauded them, took their land. It actually, absolutely de- deplorable. And then we know the history of Africans and how they were beaten and bound in the West Coast shores of Africa and taken through the Middle Passage. And we were treated as less than human, regardless of, uh, regarded as three-fifths of human beings. I mean, my great-great-grandfather was led to faith in Jesus Christ by his enslavers. Now, praise God, he became a Christian, but they didn't let him go. So he was emancipated in the spirit realm, yet held captive. Did you know America's original evangelicals, the Puritans? Oftentimes, when they were negotiating to become a pastor of a church, a part of their compensation package slaves. Cotton Mather, it said this of him, look at it with me. Members of Mather's church without any application of mind to them for such a thing. Just watch this. Members of the church spent 40 or 50 pounds on a very likely slave. New England churches routinely gifted captives to ministers. Would you just let that sit? I could go on. Martin Luther King Jr., height of the civil rights movement, looks out on the church landscape and he sees the segregation. And he said, the the 11 o'clock hour on Sunday morning is the most segregated hour of the week. My own journey. I've experienced racism. Sure I have. I've been called the N-word in Bible college. I was called a very racially offensive term by one of my colleagues and set me on an emotional tailspin. I I could tell you, uh, summer of 1993, I was 20 years old, uh, interning uh, in Los Angeles. Uh, This is a year after the Rodney King uh, L.A. riots. And my pastor um, said to me, hey, man, I need you to run an errand for me. So I, I get the keys to his brand new Lexus, driving down Crenshaw, and the police see this young kid driving in a Lexus down Crenshaw, pull me over. I ask, I, 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 I just simply say, was I speeding officer? What, what, what's going on? They didn't answer my questions. I asked a few more. They get angry at me. They put me face down on the asphalt of Crenshaw. My wife and I, we were engaged. A couple months before we got married, we're talking about, well, where are we going to live after we get married? And um, so I start looking for an apart- for apartments. I see this great apartment. And I say to the landlord, who happened to be white, well, how much? How much do you want up front? She looks at me. She says, I'll, I'll need six months up front. So I'm saying to myself, that sounds kind of weird. So my wife, who's half Irish, I say, why don't you go to that same landlord? I won't go with you. My wife goes, and the landlord says to her, just give me first and last month. By the way, that didn't happen in Mississippi. That didn't happen in Alabama. That happened in California, where we progressive. 
Now, I want to be careful here. I want to be careful. This, this, this message is not about guilting or shaming anybody because, the, to be honest with you, people of color, you know, sometimes we make stuff out to be racist that just ain't racist. It's just not. And you need to tone it down a notch, you know. So you're a black man who's a barista at Starbucks and a white woman comes up to you and says, uh, yes, I, I'd like a white mocha. Why do mocha have to be white? <laughs> Take off your stuff, throw it down, walk out the place. You just done. You know, man, I, I heard a black man actually explain uh, how pool is racist. It's racist, man. They take the white cue ball and what's the nature of the game? Knock the living daylights out of the other balls that happen to be colored. And how does the game end, Pastor? It ends by knocking the living daylights out the black ball. And I'm not even finished yet. Have you noticed the color of the pool table? It's green, which symbolizes the earth. It's racial. It's racial. It's racial. Come on, man. Come on. Come on now. Come on. Come on. But that's, that's literally how some people of color walk around. As I tell you, it's a miserable way to live. It's just a miserable way to live, to always assume the worst in people, to believe the worst in people. My wife and I are in an interracial marriage, and, and we spent 12 years together in Memphis, which is, you know, it's a, it's a pretty racist city. But my wife and I just made the decision, look, if we're out eating somewhere and someone's staring at us, I'm going to assume I spilt ketchup on my shirt. Uh, I, 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 I just can't go through life with what the Bible calls vain imaginations. And if I could just be honest, people of color, some of you have an unforgiving spirit. Something that happened way back then that just so happened by a person of another color still has you in bondage. And the Bible has some very strong things to say about unforgiving people. By the way, you should know Ephesians 6 says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. White folk ain't the enemy. Satan is. All right, so, so how, do we, how do we walk through this? One point and I'm done. Paul talks about the gospel. He now gets to race. His whole point is the church is supposed to be God's visible demonstration of reconciliation in the world. I don't look to the government. I don't look to the White House to do for me what God does. In fact, you need to understand, I'm grateful to Dr. King. I'm grateful for all that God has used him to do. Praise God for him. Because of him, I could sit on any seat in the bus that I want to sit in. I could buy wherever, whatever property I want to buy, wherever I can. I praise God for him. But, But the limitations of the civil rights movement is while they could change laws, they could never change hearts. It is only the gospel that can do that. So real healing happens with the gospel. And the church is the greenhouse for that. Okay? So, thank you. So how, how do I deal with this? One point. Look back at verse 11. Here's Paul, just got finished talking about race. 
and on the, excuse me, about the gospel, on the heels of the gospel, he now talks about race. Look at what he says. He says, therefore, remember that at one time, underline it again, you Gentiles in the flesh, you Gentiles in the flesh, you Gentiles in the flesh. Now, when it comes to race, there's two groups of people right now in this church. Uh, one of you are, are the extreme side. You, you, you idolize race and um, your identity is not ultimately in Christ. It's in your ethnicity. That is a problem. It's a problem. You are Christian before you're Mexican. You're Christian before you're Japanese. You're Christian before you're Tongan. You're Christian first. But on the other hand, some of you are on the other extreme where you subscribe to a colorblind ethic. God does not call us to be colorblind. Race is not a fruit of the fall. In fact, I want you to look at these descriptions on the screen. If you just read your Bibles... We oftentimes see in the Bible uh, the the scriptures using ethnicity to refer to people. Moses' wife is described as a Cushite. Let me break that down for you. She was a sister. She was black. She may have used a hot comb. We're not sure. You with me on that? In fact, in Numbers chapter 12, Moses' own family has a problem with him being with a black woman. What does God do? It's hilarious. He makes them leprous. I love it. It's like God said, oh, you like being white? I'm going to make you extra white. Boom. There you go. (laughs) Daniel is described as a Jew. Jesus met with a Canaanite woman. Jesus met with a Samaritan woman. In Acts 8, we hear of the Ethiopian eunuch. These are descriptions. See, if it was colorblind, we'd never hear this stuff. And then we read these stunning words in Revelation 5. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Here's, here's John sitting on the island of Patmos, and what does he do? He looks up and he says, I saw people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. How does he know that? Just off of sight unless he sees color. God created me black. Being black is not a fruit of the fall. In fact, if I understand John in the scriptures right, this will be a restored, redeemed body that will retain its blackness. And my metabolism will be a lot faster. (laughs) Are are you getting this word here? But see, um, the narrative of America has so jacked us up. We think a badge of spirituality is to ignore these things, which means this. If we're going to get to a place of healing, we have to learn to see each other. Really see each other. What do I mean by that? We all have a narrative. We all have a story. And for some of us, much of that story has been ethnically informed. Who here in the last 12 months has experienced racism? Slip your hands up. Wow. Okay. I just want to see all the hands. Now, let me, let me ask something. Where do I go to work that out? I go to the church. 
which Jesus is the center of. But here's what most churches do. We ain't trying to hear that. Just give me a word. Take your pain to a therapist. Talk to Jesus about it in private. I thought the church was to be a place of healing. I I thought the church could, could be a place where I come with my story. All of my story. And I can sit in a growth group with people who look different. And we see each other. And we trust each other. So imagine, imagine. Husband and wife are married. And prior to marriage, a part of her story was she was sexually assaulted. And she was sexually assaulted in such a way that now years later... Her intimacy with her husband, is, it's, it's hindered. And they're sitting there one night, and they're watching TV, and across the TV screen flashes Harvey Weinstein. And she goes off. She goes on a rant. And then the husband responds, is everything always about sexual assault with you? I'm no psychologist, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say, that husband probably shouldn't have said that. Because if he wants oneness with his wife, he needs to learn to see her, all of her. But Satan has so duped the church. That we come into the house of God with our stories. And there's people within the church who will say, and, and look, I, I know I'll get an email on this message. Every time I talk about race, I always get an email from, from somebody. Why are we talking about this? Well, but, well number one, because Paul's talking about it. Let me take it another step. Some of you, your story is maybe sexual assault. Others of you, maybe your story is, I'm gay. And I'm not gay because my father left. I ain't gay because someone did something to me when I was little. I came out the womb. Same-sex attracted. And some of you, I know this is controversial. Some of you would even say, and I did take it to God. And I did ask him to take it away. But now here I am decades later, and he hadn't taken it away. Where do they go to work this out? Are we a church that says, 
heterosexuals only. You can struggle with pornography. You can struggle with lying. You, you can have a part of your story, sexual assault. You can have part of your story, DWB. You don't know what that is. Ask a chocolate person. But now that story, we can't handle that one. You're going to have to pick this up another week. One more thing. There's an interesting story in John 4. The Bible says at the sixth hour, Jesus sat with a woman at the well. Now, the sixth hour, the Jews, they they started their day at 6 a.m., so the sixth hour is noon. Every woman came to the well in the early morning hours when it was cool. This woman comes out at the heat of the day. Why? Because she's ashamed. Her and Jesus get to talking. Read it for yourself, John 4. And they talk about race. And then Jesus creates an awkward moment. He says, hey, I know your story. Translation. You've been married five times. And the man you're with now ain't your husband. Translation, you shacking up. Love it. Get the tension. Jesus knows her story, all the chapters of it. And the Bible says he sits with her. You missed that. He sees her story, married five times, and shacking up. Now, if there's a hierarchy of sins, I'm not saying there is. And Jesus doesn't leave her. If this can't be a place where people can come and share their stories... Now watch it. He challenges her story. That that doesn't mean we just listen to the stuff in people's life. To love people at times means I speak truth. And I challenge. But if this can't be a place where a person says, here's my story. And we sit and we listen. I want people in this church who didn't get the memo. We Christians, we do a horrible job at seeing people's stories and sitting with them at the same time. So we see and sit. We see and sit. We see and we sit. Come on, Cormac. We out of here.
Give me a little great is your mercy. God's word to you today is, you're safe with me. I see your story. And I will never leave you or forsake you. The text says God is rich in grace and mercy. He sees us. He knows us. In fact, before you even knew your own story, God knew it. And he says, I'm here. Your daddy may have messed over you. Your mama may have messed over you. But Jesus says, I ain't ain't your earthly daddy. I ain't your earthly mama. I see it. I feel it. I grieve with you. I'm here for you. And I may not even take away the stuff you've been praying to me about. But I'll give you the grace to make it through. One step at a time. I want our prayer counselors to come. We're out of here. We're out of here. But someone is here today and there's a chapter in your story that you've been struggling with. There's there's a section in your story that has been causing you shame. Jesus wants you to be free today. If Jesus can handle a woman who's been married and divorced five times and is now shacking up, he can handle your story. Someone is here today and you're saying there's, I I just need to feel the grace and mercy of God. There's, There's a chapter in my story. That chapter may have been written years ago or that chapter may be going on right now and you're just saying, I, I feel bound by shame. I want to be free today. I want to pray for you right now in the name of Jesus. Father God, in the name of Jesus, I I pray that Abundant Life would be a place where we just talk freely about our narratives. We talk freely about our journeys. Where where people can sit and listen to people talk, Lord God. Sometimes we'll, we'll have race discussions and how certain things impacted us. And sometimes, Lord God, the person on the other side just needs to sit and listen. Sometimes we need to be challenged, Lord God. But I pray that this would be a community that sees and sits with one another. God, would you do that? I pray now for that person, Lord God, who's here today. And maybe they're wrestling with shame in their life. Maybe, maybe there's something in their narrative, something in their story that they've yet to be freed and released from. That they have not experienced your grace and your mercy. I pray that you would draw them unto yourself. Then, Father, there's someone here today, I believe, who needs to get saved, who needs to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Maybe they are dead right now. God, would you make someone alive? Do it, Father, right now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hi, my name is Michael Davidson, and here's what's happening at Abundant Life. If you've ever been asked questions about your faith that were difficult to answer or choose not to talk about your faith to avoid potentially tough questions, we've got an event that you'll definitely want to check out. 
Dr. Bobby Conway, the lead pastor of Life Fellowship Church in North Carolina and founder of the One Minute Apologist, will lead a discipleship summit on April 21st from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. in the Fellowship Hall. His powerful message will equip you with credible answers to properly address curious, faith-related questions and provide you with the inspiration you need to confidently share your faith with others. Also coming in April is a new series from Pastor Brian entitled Unleashed, The Gospel and Relationships. Be sure to join us as Pastor Brian dives into this powerful six-week message starting on April 29th. And after service on April 29th, make plans to attend the Food Truck Fellowship at 11.30 to 2.30 p.m. in the ALCF parking lot. We'll have live jazz music with chocolate rice, food provided by Boneyard Barbecue, 333, Kona Ice, and more. Come join the whole ALCF community at this fun family event. We regularly host a wide range of activities here at ALCF, but none of them would be possible without the help of those who serve. If you are a covenant partner who is actively serving in a ministry, we want to honor you at the Contributors Appreciation Event on Friday, May 4th from 7.30 to 9 p.m. in the Fellowship Hall. Don't miss this great opportunity to meet and fellowship with others like you who continue to do so much for the ALCF community. Also happening in May is our Great Family Gathering, which takes place on Wednesday, May 9th from 6.30 to 7.30 p.m. in the Fellowship Hall. It's your monthly opportunity to get together with others in the ALCF community over a meal to connect, develop deep relationships, and get equipped to answer relevant issues facing us today as Christians in the Bay. We look forward to seeing you, and don't forget to bring a dish to share with your ALCF family. We've got a special opportunity for young adults to connect with others at ALCF. If you're 18 to 30-ish, and looking to go deeper in your walk with a community of young adult believers, or if you're not a believer but would like to learn about God's plan for your life, join our young adults group on Wednesday, May 23rd from 7.30 to 8.45 p.m. in the chapel. You'll have a chance to hang out in a relaxed environment filled with games, events, speakers, informal discussions, and much, much more. We cannot leave May without talking about our Mother's Day events. The Real Options 5K Walk for Life takes place on Saturday, May 12th, starting at 8.30 a.m. at Marital Cottle Park in San Jose and Kennedy Park in Union City. It's a great opportunity to honor your mother by celebrating the gift of life. Sign up at friendsofrealoptions.net to join the life-affirming annual event that benefits thousands of mothers, families, and students in our community. We'll also honor our mothers here at Abundant Life during our service on Sunday, May 13th at 10 a.m. with a special Mother's Day celebration you won't want to miss. And speaking of our mothers, many of them serve tirelessly throughout the year in Safari Kids. We'd like to give them and the rest of our Safari Kids team a much-deserved break this summer. But we need your help. If you love the word, love working with kids, and would love the opportunity to bring them together, Safari Kids may be perfect for you. If you're interested 
and possibly serving this summer? Please contact Stacy Davidson at safarikids at alcf.net. No experience is necessary. We'll provide you with hands-on training May 20th through June 3rd in preparation for service between June 17th and August 19th. If you're looking for a church home and want to know more about our history, mission, and core values, sign up for our next Exploring Covenant Partnership event on Sunday, May 20th from 12 to 1 p.m. in the chapel. You can register at alcf.net slash signups or through the ALCF app. To stay connected with everything ALCF, check out our website, app, bi-weekly emails, and social media. And remember, at ALCF, our goal is to make a difference in you so you can make a difference in the lives of the people in your sphere of influence. Or as we like to say around here, Abundant life exists to make a better you for a better world.